As the United States expanded westward, so did Freemasonry. And so much amazing history came from that. Each of our jurisdictions that came out of that movement have an amazing history of their own. And we're going to learn about one of those this evening, the jurisdiction of Ohio. We have an amazing guest on that's going to walk us all through that. Some of the influential people, places, and happenings throughout that entire tale. So stick with us because we have an amazing episode lined up for you right after this on Historical Light. Welcome back to the Historical Light Masonic Podcast, dedicated to illuminate our past and bring our Masonic history to light since 2016. now, enjoy the show. Good evening and welcome back to Historical Light, an independent Masonic show focused on the historical events and aspects within Freemasonry. I'm your host, Brother Alex Powers. Happy to be back with you all again. And we have an amazing guest back with us once again. Someone's not even a guest anymore. He's such a regular for the show. Brother Chad Kapinski, thank you so much for being here this evening, brother. I just want to say, one of our friends actually labeled me friend of the podcast. So I'm just wondering, maybe I could get like, you know, I don't know, acquaintance, onlooker, you know, know, general well-wisher of uh, historical light. I think that would be, that'd be just lovely. Um, But we'll get the title worked out. uh, Listen, uh, I'm just grateful that you have me on here. Uh, You know, I love talking to you. I love, uh, you know, what you do. I'm a fan. And so it's, you know, I think I said this before, whenever I get to be on this podcast, I feel like that guy who got kind of like plucked out of the audience and you know, was asked <laughs> to you know, play for queen or play for, you know, violent femmes or something, you know, so it's, well, it's always, you know it's what to be here. you reminded me in the green room just before we got started, that it was almost a year ago to the day here uh, that we had you on this show for the first time. Yeah. And we went on for an entire hour about chickens. So, I learned from that evening, you're a guy that I can talk about almost anything for a very long time. So when we get on a topic that both of us really, really enjoy, uh, it's easy to drop some quality stuff. (laughs) Well, yeah, thank you. And actually, that was, you know, again, incredibly enjoyable. And uh, I'm grateful that you have me back. And I'm sure that, you know, uh, some of your longtime listeners probably saw that I was on here today. And I thought, oh, crap, he's on again. (laughs) Is it going to be Lego? Is it going to be like, you know, beans? Like, what are they going to be talking about today? We're talking about Ohio history. So there you go. Chickens in Ohio. Well, for those that may have not seen those episodes prior, I encourage you to go check those out. Um, but someone that may not know who you are, may not be familiar with you, would you mind to give us a little bit of introduction of who you are and your role in masonry? Sure. Uh, my name is Chad Kopensky. I am... Um, Past master of uh, Paramuthia number 25 in Athens, Ohio. I am a past district education officer and district deputy grandmaster of the 17th Masonic District, which is around kind of where I am. I am the past, or the immediate past chairman of the Grand Lodge of Ohio uh, Education Committee, past member of the membership committee. Um, I am currently sitting as the president of the Midwest Conference on Masonic Education, which goes out in about two weeks. And um, 
I think actually my current real office is that I'm Lodge Education Officer and Assistant Secretary, assist, Lodge Education Officer of Hamilton Number 25, and I'm Assistant Secretary of Amesville 278 in Amesville, Ohio. Um, so I, I'm kind of a professional has-been, and I'm okay with that. So, um, you know, but uh, I am uh, active in masonry, um, especially when it comes to things like Masonic education. Uh, it's, uh, I'm a firm believer in that. Um, I'm a firm believer in uh, the power of it, what it can do. And uh, so, uh, again. Very much agreed. You know, I, I've known you long enough and personally enough now um, that I can say we are truly lucky to have you in the craft. I know you like to play that down, but you, you're one of those guys that really gets us where we need to be, especially in that realm. So like what you are doing with the Midwest conference, you are the guy for that role. 100%. Uh, Thank you. Um, when I finally sleep again, you know, May 1st, after this thing is over, um, (laughs) I, you know, you're very gracious and kind in your support. So thank you. Um, 100%. One hundred percent. You as well. So let's be honest that what you've been doing in Kansas and what you've been doing, you know, and all the things you do, um, it's uh, it's amazing. Um, you know, at some point we probably should plug Masonic on Kansas too, shouldn't we? Is that now or later? We we will get to that in a minute. Right, but sure. yes, we we do need to plug that. Um, but before we get to that section, I I, I want to cover a little bit more just to get to know you uh, as a person before we hop into tonight's episode, okay. the meat and potatoes of it. What is it that really got you into Freemasonry in the first place? Um, it's actually, this is one of those things I have a fairly long story on, but I'll kind of give you the 32nd version of it. Um, I grew up in uh, South Central uh, Wisconsin and um, had a life in the Madison, Milwaukee, Wisconsin area. And I moved down here to help take care of my, uh, my wife's family. And my transition down here was very difficult. Um, it really was. It's one of those things where, um, you know, the life that you think you're going to have is not the life that you have. And that sort of struggle and stress that happens when um, your current situation doesn't match what, you know, you think it should be in your brain. And um, I felt incredibly disconnected and incredibly um, alone, for lack of a better word. And I once we realized that my wife was pregnant and we realized that where we were was going to be my daughter's hometown. I started looking for a way to make this my hometown. And so looking for a way to connect, I reached out. And um, initially, like I said, I think I said before, I called the odd fellows twice, but they never called me back. And then um, I contacted my local lodge, Premier number 25. And January 5th, 2010, I knocked on a door for the first time. And I am so grateful that they let me in. Uh, I am I don't think they quite knew what they were getting or that I knew what I was getting into, but um, uh, it's been kind of a whirlwind. Um, I went, I went the traditional way, but I went through the chairs pretty quickly. I went through my first year. I was junior, um, junior deacon, then I was probably senior deacon next year, senior warden. Then I sat as master. And uh, then I went wow. and became an LEO and then a DEO, then a district deputy. And then um, this is probably of the, whatever, 13 years I've been in masonry. This is probably the second year I haven't had a new job in some way, shape or form. Wow. So um, in theory, I'm resting, even though we're planning a national conference. 
but yeah. <laughs> well, so that, that actually leads in great to my next question here. Um, because burnout is a real thing in masonry as we found out and hearing your path, you've stayed quite busy. What is it that's really kept you around, kept your flame going for masonry? Um, He's like, do I still have one? <laughs> no. The, the reason why that's difficult to answer is because it's, um, one, I think it's individual for each person. Sure. Um, second is, um, I, would, I would love to tell you that it's a particular moment, but I think that there's, there's two things that I can really think of that why I don't get burnt out or why, you know, I am, um, I can still be as involved as I am, but I also can gain perspective. Uh, two things. One is, um, once I stopped being a district deputy, once I stopped, um, you know, being on that path, yeah. uh, all of a sudden masonry goes from being, um, have to and want to. And when that happens, oh, that's so wonderful. Um, you know, there were there were weeks where I was gone two, three, four, you know, nights a week. And you know, my daughter is sitting there, sitting on my apron casing. You know, Do you have to go to this meeting? And you know, the part of your brain is like, yes, I have to. I have a purple apron. And then there's a part of your brain going, no, I really don't. I, and. Um, we have an educational honor society here in Ohio called the Oral Schofield Society. And one of the things that we ask people to do is we ask them to, um, we call it the, the working tools essay. You basically write an okay. essay about what the working tools mean to you and how you've incorporated those lessons into your life. And I had done a, um, I had done a Pecha Kucha basically on that. Um, that I presented at the Midwest conference many moons ago. And in doing that, I had started to reflect and realize that, you know, what I said my values were, weren't exactly what my actions were. They didn't match those things. Mm. And recognizing that, you know, um, when your actions don't match your values, you either better, you got to reexamine them both, either change your actions or change your values. Definitely. And recognizing that sometimes the most important place for me to be is in that lodge room doing, you know, those things. And sometimes the most important place for me to be is sitting downstairs while my wife watches really crappy TV and I'm like, you know, building a Lego set or reading a book or, you know, playing a game on my phone. Sometimes that is absolutely the most important place for me to be. And yeah. I can be okay with that. So how you yeah, avoid so burnout believe, is recognizing recognizing um, what's a have to and what's a want to and um, making sure that your uh, making sure that your have tos are I guess in the right place or in the, uh, sure. in the right right priority there well, I mean that that aspect of balance that you're referring to that, that it's a major part of Freemasonry uh, we see it in in so many different uh, parts of this path. But Do you mind if my daughter kind of peeks in here real quick and says, "Not a hi. problem at all. Come on in." This is Eliza, and this is uh, our cat Pierogi. Um, this is Pierogi. This is Pierogi. So, and this is Eliza. This is hello, Eliza Pierogi. and Pierogi. Welcome oh. to the show. <laughs> it's awesome. Right, sweet. Uh, thanks. Let's, so, we're actually okay. live right now. So. Oh, <laughs> yeah. you've seen this around <laughs> totally. the world? Sure. We'll go How over. many? Zillions. Are you famous? Squillions. 
Squealing? It's yes. probably only like 15, isn't it? <laughs> well, she's got our number, doesn't she? Um, so <laughs> enough people will see this. So thanks, for so Okay, farewell. <laughs> it's awesome. No, yeah. you know, that, that aspect of, of balance that we... We so much, you know, touch on throughout that journey of masonry. It's, it's one of the hardest ones to truly grasp. And it's, you know, we, we talk about the ashlar concept, right? That, that smoother and that rough and smooth ashlar. And I think so many of us think, well, once we've chipped off one of those pieces, we're good and it's on to the next. But it's, it's one of those situations where you have to constantly reevaluate because we're a living ashlar and things grow and they come back. Sorry, we're going to get off topic here, but that's okay. um, <laughs> it's easy to do. Uh, I so no, I was never on this show. So during COVID, I actually got up to I got up to four bills. Um, I ballooned up, and um, you start to realize, like, oh wait a minute, um, I'm making some choices that I probably shouldn't be making, or th- things are different now. Like I can't eat the way I did when I was. 18, 19, 20. I can't do those sure. same things. Um, and recognizing that you know, self-improvement for lack of a better word, or that working on yourself, like you never get it right. Like you're it, understanding that for me, or at least why I think about it, that idea of the perfect Ashler, perfect isn't in that sense a noun. Like it's not a right. state, it's a verb. Like you're always constantly working on making it better, making it right, making it fit, making it, you know, it's, it's always a work in progress. So, but I mean, you, you struggle with those same sorts of things like we all do. I mean, where am I supposed to be? Where's the most important? Where is it that I direct my energy? What, how do I, how do I balance everything? And, you know, how do I get rid of whatever, Whatever guilt it's going to be today. Is it going to be paternal guilt or is it going to be Masonic guilt? Is it going to be, you know, um, what am I going to let affect me? So anyway, hundred percent. No, no, it, it, it plays in and I 100% agree with you, but let's, let's guide towards the meat and potatoes tonight because we do have a really, really interesting topic um, that you're going to share with us this evening. So before we do that, Let's jump in real quick and give a huge thank you to our Patreon supporters. Everyone that has supported the show, we've been around since 2016, and we are dedicated and devoted to preserving the history of Freemasonry. So if you like what we do around here, you can head over to the website, historicalite.com slash support, and you can support us on Patreon. And through those various support levels, you can get some pretty cool perks along the way as well. So if you like what you see here, jump over to the website and show us some love. We would very much appreciate it. And Brother Chad brought it up earlier. We do need to mention MasonicCon Kansas. It is right around the corner. We're about just over three months away. It's coming fast. It's going to be the second year that we've done this in Kansas. Last year was our inaugural year, and it went over fantastic. First time we'd ever done anything like this in Kansas before, and it was one of those nights that I will never forget. So we're bringing it back a second time, and this one's really, really special. So our meet and greet night is going to be at Overland Park Lodge in Overland Park, Kansas, who's celebrating 100 years, and they just fully uh, rebuilt, I guess you could say renovated, but 
went beyond a renovation. Uh, they had meant to, I think, redo the floor, and then they found out there was issues with the walls, and they ended up gutting this place, historical church building, and it is going to be basically brand new for our meet and greet. So we're going to join there for our meet and greet and help them celebrate 100 years as a Masonic Lodge in Kansas. And then we are going to move on the next day, on the 29th of July, to our main facility, which is going to be Rosedale Lodge in Merriam, Kansas. We have an amazing speaker lineup. It's going to be an awesome event. And now because we got that Rosedale location, we're able to have the festive board again in the evening. So jump on over to MasonicConKansas.com and get your tickets today so we can get, make that a another memorable event that will just stick around forever. It was a lot of fun last year, so I hope you guys come out and join us once again. With that, let's get into the topic tonight. So, Let brother, a question here, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for when it. Was the, when was the Kansas? When was that established? Eighteen fifty-six. In okay, interesting. Okay, so so you have no lodges that are two hundred years old. No. No. Interesting. Okay. Um, well. Yeah. Well, no. Can't can't get into that quite yet. But there's there's a there's an interesting bit of history that we uncovered that Freemasonry actually went on for quite a bit longer in Kansas, uh, just not under the official Grand Lodge system than we thought it did. But uh, that's for a presentation that's that's coming soon. (laughs) It's one of the most amazing things to me about Masonry. It really is. Like it's we are so good at mythology. It's not even funny. I mean the way that. I mean, that's the whole other show. Myths are so important <laughs> to a community. I mean, they really are. I mean, myths are one of those, those, those stories that we tell, right? Right. And they help, they help define us as a community. They kind of give us something to rally around. It kind of gives us a sense of identity and a sense of pride, you know? And then, you know, you start looking at those myths and some of them are true, some of them are not. But honestly, I'm not always sure that I'm not sure that unveiling the truth diminishes the myth or, right. or, you know, or diminishes really, or they can both be true. They can both be valuable. They can both be, I mean, uh, necessary for, you know, the community. Oh, uh, 100%. Like this, like, you know, Crown of Kansas, the South 56. Well, kind of, <laughs> you know. Um, well, so without without giving the whole thing away, we we sure. have source material that actually proves uh, the happenings of masonry way prior to that. It just wasn't under that Grand Lodge system. So the Grand Lodge of Kansas was established 1856. Freemasonry was happening in Kansas much prior. <laughs> Seeing this, um, okay. So Grand Lodge of Ohio was actually established in, um, oh gosh, uh, 1808. Okay. So, um, and even Ohio was, a, Ohio had been a state just maybe like four or five years before that. And so it was, it was a pretty, pretty fast sort of thing that, that Ohio came here. What's interesting to me is that when you look at kind of how masonry is spread across the country, Ohio seems to be this place that things kind of like, come through us and then kind of spread out to other places, probably right. just because geographically where we are, um, you know, but uh, when you start looking through uh, 
the later history of Ohio. You start seeing that, you know, these same names pop up in Wisconsin, Michigan, Kansas, Texas, California, uh, all these places. So um, we're really lucky in Ohio that all of our proceedings from, you know, day one are at the George Washington Masonic Memorial. They're in that library. And so that they're in PDF format. So people can actually, you know, read them from day one. Um, I tell people don't start at the beginning and read it like a diary because that's like the worst way to do it. Yeah. What you really should do is try to, you know, go in and find when your lodge was chartered and see what was said about it, what was, you know, done about it. And it really is interesting to read what is written or what is done at those times. In some ways, it's so Most close definitely. to what, in some ways, it's so close to doing about some of the same things. Yeah. Um, but also, it's a really nice kind of snapshot. And one thing I think it's important for us to remember, and you know, I know who I'm talking to, is that, you know, context is everything. That 100%, yeah. Um, you know, when you look back at some of the things that were done and said and written during that time, you recognize that looking at it now, it, it, it seems, it, it seems absolutely abominable that they would do certain things or say certain things, but that's yeah. that time, that place. And it, and so anyway, um, so masonry and Ohio are pretty intimately linked um there's um it, they just are and it really has to do with two guys one a guy named um brigadier general rufus putnam another guy okay. named manessa cutler and um these two gentlemen are important because they back in massachusetts in a meeting held in the old bunch of grapes tavern which is important historically because yes, in 1633, that's where, right, we first established uh, the first lodge under the Grand Lodge of England was established uh, in America. Same bar, about 50 years later, 1786, these guys organized what's called the Ohio Company, which is an, uh, an expedition led by these Revolutionary War people to head west into Ohio. And uh, what people can do is um, they basically can buy you know, land as part of this ordinance. Okay. But Manasseh Cutler, he set it up in such a way that was very interesting in that um, uh, he negotiated this contract with uh, Congress that uh, people could buy about a million and a half acres right where these rivers come together, the Muskingum and the Ohio. Um, and that some key provisions of this ordinance were that slavery was forbidden. Interesting. That treatment of native peoples was written into the charter that, um, that we would never take anything away from them from their consent. We treat them with absolute, like, you know, respect and, you know, and, you know, non-disturbance. And that education was key. Every town... Mm -hmm was divided into like 36 little lots. And in the center was gonna be a place for public schools. And um, it required that the outer lots would generate income uh, for the school. And a big phrase that they said was religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. 
why I am really a big fan of that is because one of the things that came about because of the Northwest Ordinance was they established uh, a university that sits about 10 minutes away from me, Ohio University. And Ohio University um, actually was established because of that Northwest Ordinance, uh, actually has as its uh, motto that phrase of religion, morality, and whatever. What I also kind of like it is that Rufus Putnam was uh, one of the first presidents of our uh, of the university. And Rufus the Bobcat, the, um, the, um, the mascot, named after him. Like so, and the first president and the first three um, graduates were Masons. And, you know, my lodge, Prometheus, sits really right on the edge of campus. And so, you know, we can go through there. But that's, that's my lodge and not Ohio. Anyway. Um, but as they, they came here, um, that was part of what was important to them was they landed in a place called Marietta, where's the, where the, um, Muskingum and the Ohio meet. And okay. as they established their, um, as they established the fort there, um, campus marshes in Fort Harmer, it was also important to them that they bring Freemasonry with them. And it just so happened that they were lucky enough to have um, to have the uh, accoutrements of American Union Number One. American Union Number One had been formed um, as a military lodge in the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts, and um, its official charter date from the, from the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts is February fifteenth, seventeen seventy six. And it existed as a military lodge that traveled throughout the um, Revolutionary War. In its minutes, it very proudly um, shows that George Washington um, had sat in that lodge, that, you know, um, uh, Lafayette and Kosciuszko and, and, and all you, you name these people who were important in, uh, in the Revolutionary War, in some way, shape, or form, had sat in this lodge. Um, and pardon me, that uh, with this desire to uh, to start masonry, they had petitioned. Um, they petitioned. Sorry, I'm back up for a second, because American Union was a military lodge. Essentially, had like three di different sort of you know. Um, charters, one from Pennsylvania, one from Massachusetts, one from New York. And the charter had sat dormant for a little bit, but um, in 1791, um, they had said they wanted to sort of re, uh, revive that charter. And uh, they did. Grand Lodge of Massachusetts actually uh, went forward and said, yep, you are, we'll revive the Charter of American Union number one. So technically, in a way, um, American Union, um, Freemasonry predates Ohio and predates, you know, the Grand Lodge of Ohio. And the, the Brethren of American Union, number one, very proudly will, um, you know, claim that heritage. Um, American Union lost their original charter in a fire. And um, they asked for, um, they asked the different Grand Lodges for a replacement. And Pennsylvania declined to give them a charter. Massachusetts gave them a dispensation, said, okay, we'll give you a charter to operate, and you can operate as a lodge until there's an 
actual Grand Lodge in Ohio. Then you have to kind of become part of them. Mm, okay. So, um, and in 1808, there were a number of different lodges that um, had existed from different Grand Lodges. There was American Union, which was under the Grand Lodge of uh, New England. There was Cincinnati Lodge 13, which was from the Grand Lodge of Kentucky. Uh, Erie Lodge from the Grand Lodge of Connecticut. New England Lodge, which was again from the Lodge of Connecticut. Lodge of Amity, which was from the Grand Lodge of Pennsylvania. Uh, and Sayota Lodge from the Grand Lodge of Massachusetts all met in a town called Chillicothe, which is about an hour and a half that way. And they decided January 4th through 7th, they decided to create and establish the Grand Lodge of Ohio. Um, when they did that, they, um, of course, changed some of their names and some of their numbers. Rick, um, you stayed the same. Cincinnati became Nova Caesarina number two. Uh, Erie stayed the same. Um, New England stayed the same. Lodge of Amity became Lodge of Amity number five. And um, they, we, really, we recently lost a lot of their interest in the fire. Sayadaw Lodge becomes Sayadaw Lodge number six. And the wonderful myth that we have here in Ohio is that we celebrate uh, Rufus Putnam as our first Grand Master here in Ohio. And we uh, gratefully, gleefully celebrate him as our first Grand Master. There are posters all over the place. There are statues. We have great things on his grave. Remember how I talked about Masonic mythology? I so do. that was January of 1808 that um, we established the Grand Lodge of Ohio, and we elected him as our first Grand Master. Putnam wasn't there. Um, he was nowhere near that meeting. In fact, at that point, he was busy with his duties here at Ohio University and you know over uh, in Marietta. He didn't respond to the news that he had been elected Grand Master until December of 1808, in which he very politely declined the honor. Thank you very much. So we elected him in absentia. He never actually was installed, never actually served, never actually spent one minute as Grand Master of Masons in Ohio. In fact, the Deputy Grand Master, um, a guy who went on to go on become governor, sort of did the really hard work of establishing Grand Lodge of Ohio, but we celebrate Rufus Putnam. Um, Does that make Rufus Putnam any less of a Mason? No, because honestly, he was one of the guys behind the formation of American Union Number One. It was important to him to bring that out here. Um, you know, I'll be honest. Uh, I have this little square encompasses right here on this box. Yeah. That is made from wood from Rufus Putnam's home at Campus Martius uh, in Marietta. Oh wow! Um, that honor society I talked about the. Um, Rose Culture Society. This is the box that holds the official seal of that uh, society. And wow. I'm not sure whether Dan Shrinko made this box uh, using native woods in Southeast Ohio, but uh, through worship uh, with Reynolds, who works at Campus Martius, that museum, they had some pieces of Rufus Putnam's home, some scrap pieces. And so they took some of those pieces of Rufus Putnam's house, put them in this box. That is amazing. Thank you. Uh, I think it's kind of cool. I don't know why. I mean, it's kind of where it sits in my house but anyway. So, again, you can kind of get a little mad that we celebrate Rufus Putnam because, you know, because he wasn't the first Grandmaster. But the truth is, he was the guy that we wanted to celebrate. 
He was the guy that, you know, did the work. We celebrate George Washington as being this phenomenal Mason, but he sat in Lodge, what, maybe 12 times in his life? It's okay. Like, the mythology is, um, there's an importance to it. And the truth doesn't necessarily diminish the myth. In some ways, it makes it a little bit more interesting. Um, American Union number one, right? Oldest lodge in the world, right? 1776. Sort of. Um, So, so, in about 1810, American Union number one actually still hadn't completely and totally joined the Grand Lodge of Ohio. They, um, they were there for the formation, but they didn't really officially totally join. But Grand Lodge kind of kept that number, kind of held on to it, saying, well, they'll join eventually, right? They'll, they'll, they were here. We'll just, you know. Um, but by 1810, a guy in their lodge, named Ichabod Nye, he'd been pretty disaffected with Grand Lodge of Ohio. He's a little mad. He was, um, he didn't like being told what to do and he wanted to stay independent. And so, um, he, uh, pretty much refused to do anything that Grand Lodge asked uh, them to do. American Union didn't appear at Grand Lodge communications. Uh, when American Union lost their lodge in a fire, they asked Pennsylvania for a charter and, uh, they said that they, um, when they got a copy of their of a charter, it said that they were allowed to operate as a lodge until the Grand Lodge had been established, at which point they had to join that Grand Lodge. And the people, Ichabod Nye from Rick Union said, well, we don't want to. We don't want to join them. And so Grand Lodge of Ohio pretty much declared them as being uh, clandestine and pretty much said, you can't operate anymore. Grand Lodge of Ohio pretty much went to American Union number one and said, you become Grand Lodge of Ohio or you GT Blanco. And American Union said, we'll take the latter. Thank you very much. So a year or two later, 1816, a year after they've been declared clandestine, a handful of brethren in Marietta said, listen, um, we kind of want a lodge here in Marietta. Could we please constitute a lodge? And Grand Lodge said, absolutely. You are American Union number one. Here you go. This is your name. This is your charter. And, you know, there. So, officially, American Union number one, Lodge number one in Ohio, has a constituted date of January 3rd, 1816, which is technically later, actually, than my lodge, period to number 25, which is 1813. But, as Again, going back to the idea of mythology and the idea of, you know, never let the truth stand in the way of a good story. That lodge <laughs> can trace their their heritage back to that original lodge that existed. Right. And was constituted back in 1776. And so I'll be honest, there was a point in my life where I was a little crabby that American Union, you know, claimed to be, you know, 1776. Like, no, it was in Ohio. You know, you are you're older than my lodge. But Again, as you get older and you kind of, you know, realize that certain things just sort of don't matter or they I mean, what hill are you going to die on? Yeah. As an Ohio institution, 1816, as a Masonic institution, 1776 or before. And how wonderful it is that they can trace their history that way. How wonderful is it that, you know, um, 
I mentioned Dan Hrinko. Dan Hrinko and Bill Reynolds went looking through um, the archives at um, the Mariana Masonic Temple. And they uh, pretty much like turned over a box and they found the original minutes book for American oh, Wow. And they're in the process of digitizing those records. Right. Just I was just getting ready to ask. And, That's fantastic. You know, and it's going to be a while while they do this. Um, but, you know, it'll be, I'll be honest, I'm not exactly sure what their plan is. I, I don't know if it's going to go to um, the Indiana Center for Paternal Research or if it's going to go to the local Marietta College. I'm not sure what they're going to do with this. But it's, you know, we'll be able to see those minute books and see what happened, to see those minutes from when Lafayette and Washington were there, to see what happened as a course of the fire, to see, you know, what happened during all these sorts of things, um, to see that, you know, um, to see how masonry got here. Um, and, you know, American Union number one isn't the only one that has that kind of, you know, history. Scioto right. lot, which I think is, um, makes me laugh, is that one of the people who was um, part of their lodge uh, is named Nathaniel Willis. And he, along with Paul Revere and several other brethren, uh, dressed themselves as Indian costumes, and they threw some tea into the Boston Harbor. You may have heard of that kind of thing. And he very loudly and publicly you know, admits to doing that. And so Nathaniel Willis was uh, the first proprietor of the Chillicothe Gazette, and he was uh, the first junior warden of Scioto Number 2. You know, and so they've got a really rich and wonderful history here. Lafayette, named for, you know, Lafayette of the Revolutionary War, or Hamilton fame, if you decided to, you know, like that. Um, that there's a, there's a history there. There's, there's, that, there's that provenance there that we can take a look at. Um, and so, yes, Rufus Putnam wasn't really technically our first grandmaster, but making you number one, you know, 1776, yeah, but, um, so much in masonry of that, um, of the mythology that's, that's there. I mean, it's, it does kind of teach us who we are and tell us who we are. Right. Um, it doesn't diminish it doesn't diminish what actually happened. It actually in some ways makes it much more interesting. Oh, much more interesting for sure. You know, real quick, before we dive further, you've mentioned having some of these extremely old records for these earliest lodges and that they're digitizing them. And obviously that's one of my, uh, my interests in masonry. So I've got to ask on those older lodges or lodges in general within Ohio, um, do you have a lot of lodges engaging in that archival aspect or how are the overall records in today's world? Is there any answer I'm going to give you that's not going to make you sad? No. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. Is there, I mean, you know, like my obsession with John Shearer, right? You know, John Shearer, the engraver from Cincinnati and, you know, his carpets and, um, and, um, I've been trying to track down that if he was in fact actually a Mason in Ohio, because there's no actually proof that he was. And I finally mm. found this like scrap of paper that shows that he belonged to Yateman Lodge. I'm like Yateman Lodge, yes, I know guys there. So it's awesome. I contact their secretary, and he's like, "Oh yeah, uh, a former secretary. He took some of the lot, the those original records home with him, and uh, he had him in his yeah. his uh, garage. And yeah, those they kind of just like, oh, so there's." And you know, that's, that's not uncommon either. I mean, I've shared it on the show before, but 
when Gardner Lodge had their first history book written for the 100 year back in, uh, what was it? 1969. Mm-hmm. It, it was very short. And he lists in there when he wrote it, that they were missing those first several books for the original years. And he had to go off of memories of some of the older brothers and hearsay from the community. So those books were definitely in personal possession at one point. Lucky enough, when I came around to write the book for the 150, I don't know when or where, but we had those books back in our possession. So we were able to start back from the beginning and recover that. But you'd be surprised how often that happens. I mean, we see all the time on on eBay and garage sales, all kinds of stuff. I mean, there was one here in Kansas on eBay one day. I got an alert about Kansas uh, Masonic history or whatever. It came up under a keyword and it was a defunct lodge that I don't know, went under probably 30 some years ago, right? Long, long ago. And this guy had the entire, I mean, from first meeting to the end, the entire records of that lodge's history. He had bought them at an estate sale for five bucks and he wanted 5,000, of course. But luckily we were able to negotiate that extremely down and recover that history. But the entire lodge is history in a box. Two stories both that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so my lodge, I mean, we are 200 years old, 207 years old, and we still have a lot of our old original minute books. And there, but some of them are, you know, in climate controlled, whatever. But some of them are just right. right there. And recently, we just did a clean out of the lodge just to kind of like see what we had. That's where I found um, a whole boatload of um, those magic lantern slides that you know i'm digitizing and trying to you know but you know there are minute books there from the 1800s and it's just kind of again it's need to open that up and just see those names that now adorn the streets that are outside the lodge or the buildings that are on campus or i mean yeah these names that are ingrained in town the other is and this is an apocryphal story um and um it's actually really appropriate that i'm telling this story tonight but it's okay uh, I actually live in a small town called Albany and Albany has a lodge number 723 and Albany Lodge was chartered, I think in the 1940s. I'll take a look at them. Um, a gentleman whose uh, funeral I just came from Dr. Ivan tribe told me this story about Albany, um, a lodge that existed in this town many, 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 many months ago that the story goes according to Dr. Tribe and local legend that during Prohibition, the lodge was open, and um, a just so happened that a district deputy was kind of riding by, saw the lights on the lodge, figured he'd stop on by and see what was going on. And it being rural Appalachia in the uh, during Prohibition, it was actually being run as the house of ill repute. That's how they were making their money. And so the district deputy tore the charter off the wall and, you know, whatever. All that exists in the Grand Lodge um, proceedings regarding that lodge is it basically says um, it would be improper of us to kind of recapitulate, you know, the what happened at Albany, you know, Lodge. Uh, but we are going to arrest the charter and uh, the proceedings of the trial of, you know, the officers and the brethren of that lodge. Uh, they will just, they will remain under lock and key in the grand secretary's office and they will never see the light of day. This happened in like 1911, 1912, 1913. Wow. And so I am dying to see what actually happened there. 
So I went and visited that lodge six months ago. And like, hey, Chad, can you see the secretary? And I'm like, sure, I'll take notes. I open up the secretary's desk and sitting there in the top drawer is the original minutes book of that lodge Shut that I up. put down back in the, you know. And I'm wow. like, oh, and I'm, and I'm looking and it's starting to fade. And of course, a meeting is going on. And what I really want to do is skip to the end and see what's going on. But I, you know, I'm like, so I right. back to that lodge. Yes, please. What, I want one. I want to. I want to digitize those pages. Yes. But, yes. You know, when it comes to Masonic history, never let the truth stand in the way of a good story. And secondly, it's amazing what you find when you start reading, looking at those stories. It's amazing, right. you know, what you find. Um, my lodge, for some reason, um, closed. If you're hearing coughing, that's the trouble dog again. I'm so sorry. She's. I'd yell at her, but you know we made we made fun of your dog in a past episode. I know I mean, I, I mean, she's very sweet. She's you can't see her. She's just sitting back there, and she's you know happy. She just is coughing at me, and I I don't want to yell at Eliza or Ruby to say get the dog out of here. So oh, you're good. But anyway, um, so yeah, you know, we're talking about digitizing Freemasonry has some extremely influential characters and this goes for all throughout the world honestly i mean i we, we see it here in gardner kansas which was mm-hmm. like this tiny little town back when it started right like next to nothing but within our lodge's history we have some of the the first people at all that helped establish the city here or the first surgeons in the entire area uh guys that you know wrote patents for the fire alarm were right here we see this in the, the it's in every single community, every single lodge. You look in that early history and you have these influential characters. So what becomes important there is in the aspect of history, historians, we hold this precedent of source material. And Freemasonry has this abundance of source material. And when we start looking at those influential characters of all of our communities, we have source material that encapsulates them and has that history. And that, that kind of shows the importance of what our books hold that a lot of our members don't understand. And it's disappearing before us, right well, before you, us. Again, with Ivan, Ivan was the guy who like, you'd say anything and he, he knew it all. Um, one time yeah. I asked him about uh, fraternities named after animals. And that was three hours of my life. There were, you know, I just sat in rapture. <laughs> but, um, and you've heard me say this, like what is so wonderful about those minutes books and is that it tells the story very often of the guys that they don't name streets after and they don't make statues after and they don't make right. Broadway musicals after. Right. Um, and in some ways, I think those are the guys that need to be celebrated. I think mm-hmm. the guys who, because the guys who built the community, the guys 100%. whose names yeah. appear there, you know, in your neck, of, in my neck of the woods, the guys who did start a high university and build the streets and keep the schools running and built, uh, you know, uh, there's a, there's a, I, it was an insane asylum is what it was. It's called the ridges, but I mean, there, it was built by Masons and, and there's, um, you know, there's a huge Masonic history that's there. And those stories exist um, in our minute books. Um, 
and I'll bring up Royal Schofield again, and I don't, we're getting so off topic, but one of the things that we ask people to do as part of earning their way into the society is they actually, we actually ask them to get into the minutes of their lodge and give us the um, initiating, passing, and raising dates of their of the signers, the people who signed their petition, or was not the was in the petition. I love that idea. Raise them, and so I mean, it sounds kind of silly because it does become almost like you know, Worf from Next Generation. You know, I'm Worf, son of Moog. But you know, I can stand up in lodge and say that my name is Chad Kapensky, and my top line signer was a guy named Jeff Slattery, and Jeff Slattery's top line signer was a guy named Frank Jordan, and Frank Jordan was out of Ironton, and if right. need be. I could actually go, I really could go all the way back to Rufus Putnam, right? Right. the guy who brought masonry here. I could, I could establish my own mythology. I could establish sure. my own um, story and my own place here. Oh, yeah. Um, and we do find the guys who actually do that, they don't just go in there and find one thing. They start reading the stories and they start, yeah, and then they start asking those questions. Um, because the histories of lodges aren't just in the minutes, they're in the stories and the people that are there. So Yeah. Well, and you know, I'll add to that, that I think we've kind of failed in the modern day because we always fail to see today is the history of tomorrow. And we don't often capture enough of what's going on right now because we're so concerned about the past and we view today differently. We don't, we don't hold it with that same weight as when we look at something from a hundred years ago, but in that same context where you're talking about those conversations, have those conversations today as well. You would be surprised, sit after lodge for an hour and talk to one of the oldest guys in your lodge and just see where that conversation goes. You would be amazed at what you will learn and the conversation, the paths that spark from that. Okay. See, now you're going to get me off on a thoroughly weird topic, but that's all right. Um, and I don't even well, know if I've talked about this. See, that's the thing is, I don't know what I've, I know what I've talked about you like offline, but I don't know if I've told you about this before. So, um, Ian, I'll wait for trouble to stop coughing. Um, so the, my lodge for a while had that shelf, you know, on a, in a back room of aprons that didn't quite make it into the ground. And my belief is that those, that's a missed opportunity. We've talked about how guys want to connect. That's why guys want to join Lodge. So keep those stories alive. And the way that you do that is getting guys to tell those jokes and tell those stories. And using the apron, using the items of the Lodge, ask. You know, I want to guarantee you that um, the guys in Albany, 728, you know, if you go there and ask them about Dr. Ivan Tribe, they're going to want to talk to you about him for an hour and tell you all about him. Right. Um, you know, uh, hell, ask me, I'll talk to you about him for an hour. Um, <laughs> and uh, we don't do a very good job of recognizing that this is the history of today. We don't mm-hmm. do a good job of keeping those stories alive. And I wish that you know, again, I'm going to get out of my soapbox. I wish that lodges thought of themselves like families. You know, like families have those stories they tell yes. all the time. Yes. You know, and if you're an only child, what an awful responsibility to be the person that has to carry all those stories. Um, I have a 
twin sister, an older sister, and a younger brother. And between the four of us, you know, we keep those stories alive. We remember, like we can, we have that shared, um, that shared connection. And I wish that lodges would think about that. And again, kind of going back to, you know, the formation of Grand Lodge, those stories have to be told, even if they're mythologized, even if they're not mythologized, it's just the truth. Right. Knowing that these people thought enough of masonry to weave it into their journey west, to weave it into the formation of this new state, um, that what they learned from it was so important that it had to be um, nurtured and recorded and passed on and and um, it was valued. You know, and the, so that, it, that the history of Ohio is the f- history of, you know, Grand Lodge of Ohio. And um, 100%. how wonderful that is. Well, before we get too much further, I, I want to throw in real quick, as we're talking okay. about this digitizing aspect. Sure. There's, sorry. there's, no, no, there's, there's a lot of guys that are curious about that or would like to see it done, but it hasn't taken place uh, in their lodge. And, I can tell you firsthand, it's a, it's a big undertaking, especially when you don't know what you're doing. Uh, Brother Gelling in the comments uh, mentioned here just a few moments ago about um, all lodges should digitize their history and uh, for when it's before it's lost forever. Because look, we went through and did mine and literally there's pages that crumble when you touch. There's the ink that was hand mixed in the day that some, some pages it's bright other pages. You can tell they mixed it with water and it's fading off the page right before us. I've said it a million times and it's going to be a quote that goes with me forever. We are that last generation for so much of this history. We are that last chance to save it before it disappears forever. And we don't take seriously enough and weighty enough of the importance of those documents that we have sitting in that back room on that dusty moldy shelf. So if you guys are at all interested in learning how you can get involved with that, um, I just throw a bone here to the Kansas Lodge research. We have an amazing program uh, with digitizing archival kits that we send out to lodges for free. You'll find in the comments, brother Justin Staley, uh, who is our administrator for that program and send him an email at staley at kslor.org and ask him how you can get something like that in your jurisdiction. He would love to help you um, because we've got our work cut out for us in Kansas. But the truth is that same work is in every state and every lodge all around the world. There's so much work that needs to be done. Um, My interest in Shearer, that's a whole other show, by the way. Um, And that whole story of how that came to be an obsession. But um, I did have Dan Harenko come out and take pictures of this really phenomenal book but nowadays i when i go and travel to a lodge if all else fails i will just start saying can i just quickly take a picture of this you know and whether it's the old glass slides you know just to kind of get them somewhere you know i I, I can come back and you know do do it differently next time 100 percent if this is, that, is this that cool? is something we've touched on because I've heard so many times and I'm not going to name drop here, but when we were talking about uh, archival in the early, early stage of this and just, you know, getting a book scanner off of Amazon, you know, just a cheap one. Uh, some of these guys that are doing this professionally would get on there and just trash talk. Well, it's not archival uh, quality and this it's something 
And you know what? If you don't do it, you're not going to be able to. Because how many of these lodges in our history, you were talking about a fire early on, right? Lost that first charter. Do you think the day before that they were expecting that to happen? Lodge of Amity number phone photograph may be your last chance. Lodge of Amity number five. I mean, I think um, most of your guys know this, but a year ago, they had a huge fire. We did an episode uh, on it, yeah. Um, you know, Dave Herkel, um, he's a good friend of mine. He belongs to Lafayette and to um, uh, Lodge Amity in, in Zanesville. Everything. Lafayette's yeah. gone. Original records, yeah. gone. Like, it's just tragedy. Just, I mean, yes, it's just stuff, but it's really good stuff. And it's the stuff that, again, it's that history. It's that, it's that tie. Um, my wife collects and sells vintage things. I'm the, I'm the person who's like, not sentimental about <laughs> objects in our family. Like you, you even know, out that like, relationship in every relationship. You have to have somebody who like dies through dumpsters and somebody who loves to fill dumpsters. And I'm the one who likes to fill dumpsters. Um, but the, <laughs> but this stuff, I mean, it's, it's important stuff. Even though I'm not sentimental yeah. about it, I recognize that it's important. Hell, over my shoulder, you see those canvases full of pins, right? Every single one of those pins is a story that's meaningful to me. Yeah. Um, now, I have to write down those stories so that in theory, you know, when I go, somebody goes, someone doesn't just throw that into the dumpster, but, or, you know, there's something with it. It's important to us, I think, as Masons recognize that we are living in our current history. Yeah. And that, um, to write these things down now, I mean, how many things have you seen in a lodge happen because, well, no, it's always kind of done it that way. Well, no. Well, why do we do it that way? Where did this right. come from? Why is this here? Why, you know, why does this, why does this exist? And um, those stories, like I said, that's our personal history. That's our, that's our family history as a lodge. Yeah. And we need to not take it for granted because one of the things that we all assume you know, I, I think many of us have had this experience of you watched all these home movies as a kid and then, you know, you turn 30, 40, 50 and your parents are like, I can't remember who that is. And you wish at some point you would have, you know, recorded your dad saying, yes, that's Aunt Ethel or had written those things down because now you're trying to piece it all together at the end. Right. So um, that's, I guess, going back to the topic, that's why I guess I'm really grateful that our, our minutes do exist at the Grand Lodge or the George Washington Masonic Memorial. You can get in there and see what they wrote and they thought right. and what they argued about and what, you know, what was really important to them. And one of the wonderful things about the, um, the, uh, the proceedings is they have the fraternal correspondent. So they'll tell you what's happening in other um, jurisdictions. So when we have the ritual wars of the 1800s, you can kind of see what's happening, you know, through there. When you see what, is happening with Prince Hall Masonry. You see that discussion. Um, I don't know that I really talked much about the formation of the, you know, the Grand Lodge of Ohio uh, and gave a really good history of that tonight. But what I hope people do is I hope that they actually do go because um, anybody can go to the Grand, you know, George Washington Senate Memorial. You can look at those archives. Get in the archives of your jurisdiction, our yeah. jurisdiction, any jurisdiction. Just read and just, just. Um, discover the myth for yourself, discover the truth for yourself, um, but also recognize the importance of the legend and the truth in your own lodge. 100%. Well, brother, 
as every time we talk, we could go on for 10 hours straight and just yeah, start the like, conversation. Yeah. I got nowhere near it. I really do. I well, have like four PowerPoints pulled up here of like notes of things we were going to talk about. Yeah, I got to like two of them. One, two, well, three. you know what? I think there's a lot of valuable conversation that came out of this. So if you would be so kind, we've had you on a few times, but if you would be so kind, there is a lot more to uncover in this topic. So I'm going to ask if we can have you on for a part two. And if it takes a part three and a four, I would love to have you on because this was really quality. And I think there's a lot to be learned here. And I want to learn the rest of this history. So if that's something you'd be up for, we would love to sure. have you back. You know, there's guys who are much better at it than I am. Um, and I think um, like I'm always game for anything, but um, let's, let's do it. Um, Fantastic. One, I like talking to you and two, the more you read, um, the more it becomes fascinating. And again, the truth doesn't really diminish the legend. Um, it actually, in some ways, it kind of enhances it. So, 100%. Well, my brother, we are at the top of the hour, and we always end these off with a toast. And I'm going to be asking you if you would mind offering up a toast for us this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. To Rufus Putnam, the man, the myth, the legend, and the truth. God bless them and thank him for everything. So, to Rufus Putnam. Rufus Putnam. Cheers. Brother, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I think we covered not near what we were supposed to. That's all right. But some amazing stuff. No, it is all right. And I think there's a lot of quality information to be taken from this and a lot more. So I really look forward to having you back on. Until next I want time. you to, yeah, I want you to thank uh, your wife, your daughter, your animals <laughs> for letting us borrow you away for a little bit this evening. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. You're a dear friend of the show. Can't wait to have you back again next time. Any final words before we close off? Um, Best wishes to you and to your family and uh, on Masonicon. And uh, thank you for, again, your friendship, your support. Uh, you're really good for my ego. Um, and uh, uh, I really appreciate the work that you do uh, in masonry. It is inspiring as much as it is illuminating. So uh, all the you know love, affection, and respect right back at you, my friend. So. All right. Love you, brother. You too. So everyone for watching live this evening. Thank you so much. I appreciate you joining in with us and I hope you come back for part two of probably part 50 altogether, but, yeah, <laughs> but it'll be good stuff <laughs> until next time. Keep preserving the history of Freemasonry. We'll see you right back here on the next episode. Have a good evening.